Hello, and welcome back to Teaching Together, the Complete Mathematics Podcast. I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're joined by my Complete Maths colleague, Kieran Mackle. Great to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me. Uh, what are we looking at today, Kieran? We're going to look at ancient number systems. And this objective is from Stage 4, Unit 1 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. So we'll be chatting about ancient number systems using the teach, do, practice, behave model of phasing learning objectives. And you can follow along at home by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcast to download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. Once you've downloaded this, let's dive into ancient number systems. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we must be sure that we're doing the right maths at the right level. If we're not and it's too easy, we run the risk of boring pupils. But if it's too hard, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone. And we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. So Kieran, tell us about the prerequisites and how you might go about testing these in your classroom. So I, th I think with the prerequisites, you've got an understanding of Roman numerals and also place value to four digits. And I, I don't think there's any point or certainly very little point in going near this if um, pupils don't have a solid understanding of place value in base 10. You know, I think four digits is probably the, the upper limit of reasonable comprehension. You know, Richard Dawkins always says this thing about humans find it difficult to understand numbers beyond their immediate experience. You know, for instance, we've been alive somewhere between 30 and 40 years. And so that's the distance we can judge. Yeah. You know, anything further than that seems a, a whole long way away. Um, and I think it's probably the same with thousand. You could you can see a couple of thousand in a football stadium. But if you look at tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, you find it pretty difficult to distinguish. So it's really important that you've got four-digit place value because I think that's the, almost like the, the upper boundary of our comprehension. And then from there, you're looking at patterns. And so we need to make sure we've got that in place. And I think on the on the slide deck, we've got a card sort task, which allows pupils to demonstrate that they understand what makes a place value system special. You know, it's the idea that the value of the digits is determined by its place in the in the number and so by manipulating that kind of task you know i think we've gone for the create the largest number possible you know you're looking to the smallest number possible you could give boundaries to say okay give me find me a number between two and five thousand and you know anything that shows that they know that when they move the cards there's quite a significant change to the the value of the of the digits um, so that, that's where I would start there. I mean, do you guys see that in year seven, year eight? Yeah, I have, I have got two year seven classes this year. Um, and I do find that they have a really, they have quite a good understanding of place value up to a thousand. Anything beyond that is, I mean, you kind of just throw in stuff and hope it sticks in some cases. Like the, the number 357,412 means nothing to people. It's just a three, five, seven, four, one, and a two in any real order, and that could be in any order, and they don't seem significantly different to them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably why things like standard form are quite tricky for pupils, because, you know, you're working with either really large or really small numbers, you know, in, in my limited experience of 
standard form. And so, you know, when you're when you're missing that kind of um, understanding of of the place value system, I think, uh, yeah, you're going to struggle as you go further into the the extremities that you explore in secondary maths. Yeah, um, so the the larger numbers is, is on a form of you know your, your ten to the power of eights and ten to the power of nines. They're, they're they're not significantly different. That's just a one difference. Where actually they're they're ten times greater. But also at the other end, like your zero point zero zero five seven, isn't significantly different to zero point zero 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 five seven. It's just an extra zero, and to me, zero has no value. So they're kind of the same. I know that they're not, but they're kind of the same. Is what I expect many eleven year olds will have the idea of. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. So you can see why it's really important that they that they do grasp this, you know, around about the age of nine or ten, because uh, yeah, it has a big impact the rest of the way through school. And um, the other one is Roman numerals, and it's a prerequisite, perhaps largely because it's the number system that features in the in the primary national curriculum for mathematics. It was one of the really controversial statements whenever the curriculum was uh, when the curriculum was changed in two thousand and. 12 the draft was you know so we've been using since 2014 and it seemed as if it was just there because people have thought that you know it's in it's in the end of the bbc you know you've said this to me before you know or it's um you know it's on sort of really old grandfather clocks and that kind of thing but actually what it allows you to do is to support your pupils in developing an understanding of the distinction between an additive system and a place value system um, and then when you've sort of established that, um, then you can explore this hinterland that we're sort of going to go to today. Because I think what we're what we are looking at in this objective is is hinterland. You know, it's not fundamental to your success in mathematics, but if you're furnished with the knowledge that's encompassed in it, then you're going to you know have a, a much broader understanding and a, and a much richer understanding of the the mathematics that you engage with. Yeah, so we've checked these prerequisites and we know pupils are ready to learn the new idea, so we're ready to teach. I'm going to lean heavily on you here, Akira Kieran, because I'm secondary teacher and this isn't anything that we really look at because, like you say, it's not going to impact on mathematical success. But in the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, though only just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. So, Kieran, how are we going to introduce ancient number systems to our pupils? We have to be very careful when introducing ancient number systems, particularly when they're beyond the scope of our own knowledge. I think, you know, because there are some number systems I would never dream of trying to introduce to pupils because I just don't know enough about them. You know, if we think about the idea that old isn't necessarily worse. You know, we've we've spoken before about how, you know, the Egyptian empire spanned roughly 3,000 years, I think. You know, someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and within that time period, and even before and after, you had number systems evolving separate from each other, and it wasn't a linear trajectory. You know, so a number system in one time period may have been more or less effective than a number system in another time period. And to say that the Egyptian hieroglyphs that we're going to talk about encompass all of the number systems that existed within the sort of within ancient Egypt, I think would be, you know, is something that we have to try and avoid. So people can't think these hieroglyphs were the only 
things that were used to represent numeric values. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of sort of care taken to be culturally sensitive and historically sensitive. You know, it's not a case that we're here uh, as a result of the work of 15th, 16th century clerics and the mathematics that they devised in Western Europe um, during those centuries. When I'm introducing ancient number systems, I'm thinking about, okay, there has been rich mathematics across the story of humanity. And so we need to appreciate that. That's that's my that's my starting point. You know, even with the Romans, I'm pretty certain, although zero was one of the shortcomings, they did add something called nulla to represent that later on in the, in the, in the span of the Roman Empire. And so I'm always thinking, do I really understand the cultural connotations of, of what I'm exploring? We then take our number system um, and compare it directly to similar systems. You know, on the slides, you'll see hieroglyphs are compared with Roman numerals. And so we should have the prerequisite understanding of Roman numerals and how it worked um, or how they worked. Um, and then, okay, well, let's compare that to a similar additive system, but not a precisely identical additive system, you know, and, you, and you're prodding for, for differences between those. You know, I think, you know, the main difference that's highlighted on the slide is the idea that, um, you know, you've got this subtraction principle, whereas the Egyptian hieroglyphs were simply um, additive in, in terms of addition, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the thing that strikes me here is that there's there are so many rich sort of stories and that cultural capital that we can be adding to people's experiences of school when we look at, at ancient number systems. I mean, Egyptian hieroglyphs are, are, I guess, they're based on what was what was around at the time, right? So what was quite common in, in life. So you've got your single stroke being one, the cattle hobble being ten, coil or a rope uh, being being a hundred, um, lotus or a water lily being a thousand. Bent finger is ten thousand, and then a tadpole represents a hundred thousand, and then he being a million. Um, and I don't have much knowledge here, Kieran. Do you have any, 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 any greater understanding to share there? Yeah, I think it's it's possibly beyond my comprehension because I've seen the Eye of Horus, which is an ancient vehicle, as well as I think a spiritual and religious icon um, it's a way for them to represent the idea that 0.9999999 to infinity is um, is equal to one because you've got a part of the eye that represents a half then a part of the eye that represents a quarter then an eighth and so on and so this image of an eye to the ancient Egyptians at that time represented this really complex mathematical idea you know I think you'll find in the basin of the Nile, there was some really complex maths um, developed because of the taxation system, um, and I think a lot of the maths that we would recognise in terms, you know, in reference to circles, came from the the way they measured the 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 space to be taxed. You know, so if, uh, for instance, if they're, if they're growing crops, they would have a stick in the middle, you would have a rope, and then that rope would demonstrate the sort of circumference of your area. So I think it was very much practical. Like you said, those those images are images that they're encountering all the time. Um, and so you've almost got this, you know, did the mathematics come from practical need, um, which quite often, you know, technological advancements do, um, or did they suit their 
their lives to match the mathematics that they that they had. And so it's, it's interesting because you know he had these massive libraries across ancient civilizations, which sort of yeah, like I said, brought this really rich exploration of our universe, you know, um, to the to those who were interested in being learned at the time. Yeah, and and I'm absolutely blown away by how much there actually is here. We spoke before we recorded about how different schools could take on different number systems. So slide four looks at uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. What other number systems might other primary schools look at? So you can, I think it's a it's a requirement that you study one ancient civilization as a minimum. And so I have seen schools study the Mayan civilization, which had a really interesting number system based around, um, I think it was an additive system again, but they would group things to make them easily subitized. Um, then, you know, the kingdom of Benin, um, I know very little about the number system that they had there, but I think that's another option. You know, there are some resources that encourage that study of a study of that civilization. And so you'll find that, you know, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, um, you know, Babylonians, I think you'll you'll find lots of those. And um, I think some schools are exploring um, the sort of what would be the Far East relative to where we are right now. Um, and the number of systems that were available there. Cool. And I think that's really valuable for a, a secondary teacher to know that these peoples have had this rich uh, this rich experience with with some ancient number systems, but potentially don't know which ones. Now we're going to transition out of the teach phase, and we're looking for peoples to do, and that's coming up next. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown. And in most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution. The do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. So the teacher is responsive, amending their model or example to maintain pupil motivation and make stronger connections in pupils' schema. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea, and it's important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. So how are pupils literally doing here, Kieran? So I think you want to expand the range and perhaps the type of number system. Um, so then you encourage them to use what they've learned. Um, you know, We're still trying to draw distinctions, um, and you might want to bring in a multiplicative system you know, I think there are there were at one point, if not currently, there was a Chinese number system that the vertical arrangement of the numbers represented the sort of the base value and then the power of 10. And so that's one step removed from these additive systems in terms of it, it, it changes how the you know how you need to, the efficiency with which you can represent numbers. Um but you might just want to stick with those that feature in classrooms. So you've got Roman numerals, Egyptian hieroglyphs, and the the unary notation, which is a which is a, a tally system essentially. And so in in the example task, I've chosen those because they're all very very similar, you know. And so I could say to a pupil, I want you to represent the number thirty three, and they would have to go through the same thought process to represent those um, represent those values. Um, and then uh, while they're doing that, I want them thinking about what was different each time. And like I said, with Roman numerals, I might be subtracting 
before I represented the um, the value of the number, you know, with, uh, you know, negative 10 plus 50, I think is one is the example I, I chose. But then with the Egyptian, I'm there, I'm just, it's the, the sum total of the, of the hieroglyphs I've chosen. And so it looks like they're just representing numeric values. But what we're doing is we're checking for understanding before we can go even deeper into it. Because I think being able to manipulate the systems, once you have developed an understanding of how they work, um, I think then allows you to draw some pretty profound distinctions, I think. So that, that, that's what I would do. I, I, would, I would expand the range um, and then ask pupils to interact with the, with the mathematics itself in the same way they would with base 10. Yeah, I really like the idea of um, showing the same number in different uh, number systems to show, you know, commonalities between them and also distinctions between them. Uh, I do think that that'll, that'll really increase uh, increase understanding before they then go into the practice phase. So having worked through Teach and Do, uh, pupils have developed fluency with this new idea and we're going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the idea. Unfortunately, it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far. People tend to perform with a new idea, but don't form connections between the novel idea and their existing schema, and this affects retention in the long term. Through Teach and Do, pupils are now fluent with ancient number systems, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed task that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. So, Kieran, what kind of activity might the teacher use here? For me, at this point, you're looking for an all-out analysis. And one of the things I've been trying to do the whole way through this episode is not to assign value judgments, you know, because I think base 10 across modern culture is a bit of a mess, you know, and it's not consistent. When we describe numbers in English, you know, when we're in that period between 11 and 19, that could be so much more um, streamlined. And the way we describe fractions could also be um, improved too. So, you know, we're drawing attention to the idea that base 10 isn't being held up here as the perfect system, um, but we're going to look at the strengths and weaknesses from an arithmetic or mathematical position, you know, because some systems will lend themselves to different things really well. You know, we talked about the impact that life at the time had on a number system you know what was the purpose of the number systems development what were the conditions in which it grew because if it was right for those purposes and it was a really efficient system in that context well then you know that, that that's a strength if that makes sense and so we're looking at those things but we're, we're really trying to get under the idea of, of the number system just through this exploration because i think for mathematical purposes some things are work more effectively than others. For instance, in the absence of zero in Roman numerals, um, I think multiplication is very difficult. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, if not almost entirely impossible. Um, I've never tested it out, really. Um, so that would be a weakness because if I want to work with larger numbers and proportion, um, I, I'm struggling. Am, am I correct on that one, Dave? I mean, I've never given it any real thought, Kieran, but it sounds right. Yeah, I mean, it'd be really good if someone knew otherwise. I think that's why they introduced the zero, so they could work with this 
sort of proportion and um, magnitude. Um, but what we want to do is we want pupils to really get under the hood um, and poke and prod the systems um, until they stop working um, or, like I said, relate this to um, relate the strengths to the historical aspects that are important, you know, and whether the purpose influenced the system or the system influenced the, the things that were possible because they had this, uh, had this knowledge. Yeah, and after pupils have formed this strong understanding of ancient number systems, assimilating this idea into their schema, we're looking at them behaving mathematically. In order to develop mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for pupils to transition from specializing to conjecturing and generalizing through to analyzing and reasoning with the related idea from two stages previous. Now, Kieran, you raise a really valid point here about ancient number systems. Yes, because I think this is an example of the teacher who has this group working through stage four, putting things in place that will benefit the teacher when they're working through stage seven or eight. You know, so this is where I lean on you, Dave, because I think the value this brings isn't immediately apparent. But when pupils go on to explore multi-base and they have this greater understanding of base 10, then they might be more open to appreciating base two, base seven, whatever base it might be. And I think that's the whole point of the exercise, you know, greater flexibility, confidence and understanding of systems they're likely to encounter today. You know, I think things have changed. You know, it used to be that you needed to know binary to work with computers. I don't think that's true now, but I do think there are instances where other bases are used. Um, and I think that's something that you guys cover in stage seven, stage eight, perhaps better than, than I ever could. Yeah. So in terms of a couple of behaved tasks uh, that are on the slide deck, on slide seven, it is looking at Cistercian numerals. Cistercian numerals were developed by the Cistercian monks, and they developed a system where you can have a single glyph that denotes any number from one to 9,999. It is a single vertical line down the middle. And then it's basically the same shape in the top right, top left, bottom right, and bottom left. This is available as a as something that you can press and change numbers on a mathspot.com. And if you click on the uh, on the image on the slide deck, it'll take you straight to that page, which I believe was coded by Charlotte, um, friend of Teaching Together. This is something that I have used in class, and it it kind of helps pupils to develop that understanding of place value up to four digits. Because they're then having to understand what the first four, for example, in 4,513 means. Well, it means 4,000. And then I've got to find 4,000 from the image on the right on the side deck and then draw that little diagonal line coming down to the bottom left. And this has been really powerful with year sevens specifically, but also I've used this with year tens to show how other, other cultures can, can display numbers. And now on slide eight, Kieran's alluded to multi-base and this has been a task that i've used to introduce multi-base and i i lean heavily on the simpsons here 
Um, I, I don't know any kid that doesn't really know The Simpsons. And so I take Homer Simpson. The Simpsons famously have four digits on each hand, three fingers and a thumb. And the voice actor who does Homer Simpson, and he's quite clearly going to have four fingers and a thumb, which means that he, he's got 10 digits, whereas Homer's only got eight. And in the um, Simon Singh book, uh, The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets, there's a there's a bit about how The Simpsons work in base 10 when it comes to numbers, but they really shouldn't because they only have eight digits. And therefore, the question, who is correct, that's on slide eight, the answer is actually both of them are because Dan Castellanata has 10 digits, whereas Homer has eight. So Homer using a base eight system makes sense. And the voice actor using a base 10 system also makes sense. Kieran, have you read that book? I'm familiar with it. I've read extracts, but not the whole thing. I mean, I, you know, listening to that, your your bit there, I think I'm definitely going to go and get that and try and read it then before, before Christmas. Um, yeah, because it's fascinating, you know, and I know that the 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 writing team on The Simpsons has always been sort of very math heavy in terms of their sort of education background. Yeah, that's um, right. So, so I've I've no doubt that it um it'll be a uh, fascinating. But that that task is brilliant, you know, looking at um who is correct. I think uh, you know that's that's a great way into it, and I can just imagine the conversations. That are that are going to be sparked as a result um, of sort of that of that prompt. I mean, so so how did the how did the writing team get around the fact that the Simpsons only have eight digits but work in base ten? Do did you know that? No, do you? I do. Yeah, it's part of the book, and um, I'm going to spoil it for you. So I'm really sorry. <laughs> so there is one character in the Simpsons who has ten digits, doesn't appear often, um, and the reason that they don't draw the Simpsons with five digits is that when you draw a hand particularly in yellow with four fingers it looks like a bunch of bananas the character that does have 10 digits in the simpsons is god so when so when god appears god does have four fingers and a thumb on each hand and therefore because god oversees the entirety of the of the world then that's the reasoning why they use base 10 as opposed to base 8 nice that's amazing. I mean, I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if they used BSE, but uh, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum for free at CompleteMaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from counting to calculus. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode. And if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDear01. And mine is at Kieran underscore M underscore Ed. And you can get in touch with the Complete Maths team on at LaSalle Ed. Or we're available on email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I'm Kieran at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your chosen podcast provider. And please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. Bye.